0: Boy, it's sure good to see you. Thank God for you. What a great year we've had, and uh, I'm looking forward to 2024. What I love the new year. I love the new prospect of all that God can and will and wants to do. And we've just experienced some really special things here this year uh, at our church. Uh, for those of you that weren't here last week, I was able to announce our church that God uh, did something amazing. We prayed last year, or this year, this this past year uh for some special miracles we were we fasted and prayed for uh, for weeks and weeks and we prayed for um of course a, a legal situation that was kind of out of our control really had nothing to do with us but got kind of caught in the crossfires with it and god took care of that uh, we prayed for one hundred thousand dollars to be given uh for uh, our ac units that are that are currently being repaired and um and weeks later, just, just a couple weeks ago, um, we, we received a, a refund check for um, premiums paid for an old insurance policy that was canceled, and it was $139,000. dollars <laughs> is that extraordinary? God just took care of it. And, and, and I believe we prayed, we gave many of us dug deep and gave and look what God did he just he took our little five loaves and two fishes and he broke them up and multiplied them and and did what he does somebody better help me up here I'm gonna tell you right now that is a blessing and so if you missed that last week I wanted to uh, just remind you how good uh, God has been in light of that uh, we were selling some of those t-shirts out there Uh, we don't need to sell them for the AC units anymore because that's covered Uh, but if you want to to still get some of those uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna use that to help everybody that's going on the, the mission trip this summer to offset some of their costs. You can have a shirt or a bag for any donation you want. If you don't have any money, just take one, whatever. That's fine, too. Uh, but uh, take, take advantage of that as you leave today, and we'll, we'll just try to designate that to help the 15 of us that are going on a mission trip next summer uh, to be able to offset some of those costs, and I hope you'll take advantage of that. I think uh, this past weekend or week, I apologized to my son Brent about five times. <laughs> he he rode with me up to Charlotte last Wednesday, and uh, my parents uh, had bought me and my brother uh, football tickets to see the West Virginia Mountaineers play in a bowl game. And I haven't been to a West Virginia football game uh, in, in years, and I, I'm... I'm an old West Virginia boy. I love, I love the Mountaineers and used to go all the time when I was a kid and in high school. And, of course, just, just living in California and other places, it just doesn't work out. So we went and had an awesome time. Of course, they won 30 to 10, great football game, had a great experience. And then, unfortunately, we had to drive home. Now, look, there are very few things that get me worked up besides traffic and Interstate 95, during the holidays, has got to be the worst stretch of interstate in the entire country. I mean, it's just absolutely awful, and and, and I I am, I just cannot handle delays especially like when you're trying to get home right it's always when you're trying to get home i mean going to the game uh would it it, almost would have been okay because we were looking forward to get the game but but coming home and trying to get home i mean we it it costs us two hours of time uh to come from charlotte here on thursday morning And, and but but you know i travel a lot and and i have been stuck in some seriously bad delays that have complicated things for me a lot, but none worse than last Christmas, okay? How many, is there anybody in here that got caught up in the Southwest Airlines debacle? Okay, uh, Wes and Noel, okay. And, and and I, last year, I was just sending my wife kind of on an almost last-minute kind of thing to, to go see her parents, and we just, we couldn't all go. And so I sent her, Brent and Adriana, and they were flying from here to Atlanta, uh, then to Kansas City. And, and of course, we never fly Southwest Airlines, but you know, tried to go the cheap route, you know, and and you get what you pay for, right? <laughs> they They flew to Atlanta, no problem, got stuck in Atlanta. They were one of the two million travelers that got stranded last Christmas. Two million. Seventeen thousand flights canceled last Christmas. What started as a winter storm, up in Chicago and Denver literally paralyzed the Southwest Airlines and caused them to have a major problem rerouting, reassigning workers, Uh, and it ended up in one of the biggest, most chaotic experiences for travelers. In fact, ultimately, Angie and Adriana and Brent got stuck On Christmas Day in Atlanta, got stuck after literally sitting in the airport for hours and hours and hours and delays and cancellations and cancellations. Uh, They had to get a hotel in Atlanta. There were no rental cars to be found. Somehow we found a hotel room in Atlanta. My wife, my daughter, and my son spent the night at a hotel in the Atlanta airport Uh, On Christmas night, did I mention that? On Christmas night, and the next day, I had to drive from here up to Atlanta to pick them up and bring them home on December 26th, and it was a nightmare. Nobody likes delays. Fortunately, there'll be a day when all delays are over. And in this passage in Revelation chapter 10, in fact, in verse number 6, at the end of the verse, it says there will be no delay any longer. Now, we know that what is being spoken of here is the delay, seeming delay, if you will, in the final fulfillment of all that was contained in the scroll that was opened, beginning in Revelation chapter 5. And what John is receiving in Revelation chapter 10 is he's receiving a message that comes down from God through an angel who comes down to earth and touches down a foot on the sea and a foot on the land, and he's going to share this scroll with John to give to John so that John could turn around and proclaim it to the nations, now remember, up to this point, what we've seen is we've seen that God has had his martyrs and his people crying out to him for vengeance and for justice to be fulfilled, and this, this process has started. But folks, of all the things that we have read about the tribulation period up to this point, the very fact of the matter is, you haven't seen anything yet. I mean, what is getting ready to happen in chapters 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 is the ultimate cataclysmic ending of all things as we know it on this earth. And so when John is in the middle of this and he is, he, is, he, is, he is now gone from sitting in heaven, looking at the throne, to back down on the earth, receiving this message from an angel that comes down, there's no question that the purpose of chapter number 10 is to remind John of what is to happen and to take this scroll and internalize it and, and share it as an encouragement and a warning to all those who would listen. and So this morning, I want to look at this text, and I want to give you just two thoughts this morning. Number one, I want you to see in verses 1 through 7, we have a reminder of realities. You know, folks, sometimes it is important for us to step back and be reminded about what is true, what is real, and what is actually going to happen. And I think sometimes we get caught in the middle of so many difficulties and challenges and struggles and times of waiting in our lives that if we're not careful, we can fail to remember certain things that are real. Has that ever happened to you? Has it ever happened to you that you were going through something, you were experiencing something, and all of a sudden there were questions and and clouds hanging over what you know to be true? Maybe you've heard this statement before, never doubt in the dark what is true in the light. Sometimes there's things that we, we know they're true. There's realities that we know are real and they're factual, but then all of a sudden judgment or difficulty or stress comes in and we start questioning and doubting the things that are real. And I think what happens in verses 1 through 7 is that God sends this angel down to John to remind him that there are things that are real, there are things that are happening and you need to keep your eyes and your focus on those things that are most real folks and listen there could not be anything more applicable to us today living in a world where we are bombarded with messages that are anti-god, anti-bible, anti-truth. I mean every show and movie and news it just it, it literally does it not cloud what we think about God and what we think about reality? Folks, that's why we we come to church on Sunday, to be reminded about things that are true and to be reminded about things that are real. Folks, there is a world out there that is a phony facade. It is a veneer of reality. Folks, what is real is there's a real God in heaven, there's a real Savior named Jesus, there's a real Bible, there's a real life, there's a real heaven, there's a real hell, and we need to be reminded of those things that are certainly true. And what we find in this chapter, in verses 1 through 7, is that the very presence of the angel and the message that he brings is reminding John that things are all going to work out just like Jesus has already said. Who is this angel? When you read verses 5 and 6 and compare it to Daniel chapter 12 verse 7, I think it's pretty apparent that this is Gabriel. Now, Gabriel is one of two angels actually named in the Bible. One is Michael and one is Gabriel. And Gabriel, whereas Michael is an angel of war, Gabriel is a messenger of warning or or, or who gives messages out. I mean, Gabriel was the one that was there announcing the birth of Christ, for, for instance. And so when you see Gabriel, this angel coming with a message he is giving John a reminder, and the way the reminder starts is really in verses 1 through 3 as God describes Gabriel. Now, you say, you say this sounds a lot like Jesus, and, and it does sound like Jesus. It sounds like this is Jesus stepping down, but we know from verse, verse 5 that this angel is going to swear to God that this is going to happen, that he's going to give this message. We know that they're two different people. In fact, uh, Uh, when it says here in verse number one I saw another mighty angel, it's a really interesting Greek word, there's two Greek words for another in the New Testament, there's another of a different kind and another of the same kind this is another of the same kind just like the angels that are proclaiming the judgment, blasting the trumpets, this is another one of those and so Gabriel is one of many angels that bring announcements and bring judgment and then Uh, Beginning at the end of verse number one, there's this vast description of who he is. Look at this. It says at the end of verse one, he came down from heaven clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. Now that description right there tells us some things that are true about God and true about his representatives that we should find comfort in as a reality in whatever chaos is going on around us. First of all, he's clothed with a cloud. Oftentimes in the Bible, God is pictured in clouds coming in judgment. But then notice this. It says, there's a rainbow about his head. Now, as you know, we've already discussed this in Revelation chapter 4. And, of course, in the book of Genesis, the rainbow is a picture of God's promises, right? So you got this beautiful mixture here. You've got judgment and you've got promises of protection happening in the same scene. Now, folks, I want to tell you this. There's only one place in the world where judgment and mercy meet, and that is at the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did for us there. See, judgment was experienced by Jesus by receiving the payment that you and I deserved and owed to God because of our sin, but mercy is seen in that judgment was given to Christ and not to me and aren't you glad for that he goes on and says this in verse number two Uh, i'm sorry at the end of verse number one he said his his feet are like pillars of fire interesting the pillar of fire uh, in the bible is of course a picture of god's presence just like in the old testament when the children of israel were wandering in the wilderness it was god that showed up at night in a pillar of fire and then i love this my favorite part of this it is in verse uh, in verse two. It says he had a little book open in his hand. Watch this, and he set his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land. By the way, you can read that three times in this chapter. That that phrase is repeated. He had one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. Now, if you skip over to chapter number twelve, and you don't have to, you don't have to uh, look at this right now, but you'll see that 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 the beast. And and the false prophet are are pictured as rising up out of the sea. And and, and here, before we get to that in chapter 10, I love this. It shows us that, yeah, that's coming. And yes, there's going to be uh, uh, absolute craziness coming out of the sea. But before he gets into that, he says, I want you to know this angel's coming down. And he's going to have one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. Showing that God literally is sovereignly over and in charge of everything that is about to and getting ready to happen. Now, folks, i got to tell you, Satan is on a leash. Yeah. Well, amen. He, he seems to be ruling and in control and governing and overall, but never forget this, that God is always over him. God is always in control of him. God is ruling over him at all times. So, so, so there's this picture of the assurances and the presence of God. Look at verse number 4. Something very interesting here says. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, watch this. I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Now that's unusual, isn't it? It's not the only time in the Bible that somebody was told not to write down what they saw Daniel was told the same thing folks you gotta understand there's a difference between revelation and inspiration inspiration is God recording his words that's what this is 66 books of inspiration at this church we believe that the Bible is the inspired and inerrant word of God we believe this book right here came from God was was spoken out not not just thoughts Not just images, but words came from God, and men recorded those words down in this book, and we have an inspired Bible. And Watch this. Everything you need to know about God is in that book right there. Everything you need to know about God. However, not everything to be known about God or to be known about everything is in the book. I think there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, We are finite humans, and we can never completely process who God is entirely. Lord, help us all. I mean, sometimes I think we think we've got things figured out. We think we know what's really going on. Folks, we have no idea how big, how overwhelming God is. And so in in some sense of the word, uh, we couldn't contain it anyways, right? Isn't that what John said? John said, Jesus did many other things while he was on this earth, and if we would write down everything that Jesus did that we saw him do, the world could not even contain the books that would be written down. Folks, listen, God is bigger than you and I could ever imagine. But Let me tell you a second reason why I believe that whatever was happening here was not written down. Folks, the very fact of the matter is, we only have a glimpse of how severe and significant the final judgment upon this earth is going to be. Folks, God's given us a glimpse. He's given us a picture. But let me assure you, the half of what is going to happen has not been told or recorded. And folks, what we're going to read in these next chapters is terrible. But believe me, trust me and trust God. This is going to be far worse of an experience for people that have turned their back against God than we could ever, 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 ever know for sure. Then we go to verses 6 and 7. And we see this ultimate assurance. Look at this, verse 6. Then the angel, or let verse 5. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his hand to heaven and swore by him, who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, and the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea that are, things that are in it, that, watch this, there should be delay no longer. Folks, we know that obvious the application here is this message has come down. We're going to find out it's going to be given to John to be shared with others, most obviously. But this message coming down is a message that was, that, that was the final warning, if you will, the final say-so, that the final judgment is going to come. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3 teaches us that there is a time for everything. Seasons come, seasons go. Listen, God-ordained seasons can be counted on. Folks, there's a season for God's grace, there's a season for God's judgment, there's a season for mercy, there's a season for vengeance, there's a season for health, there's a season for sickness. It comes and it goes. But listen to me, if God has a season on his timetable, believe me, it is going to come to pass, and I believe that is ultimately what the message to John is. When will the end come? When will God's people be avenged? When will God's judgment finally come? This has been the cry of Christians, both New Testament and Old Testament, for thousands of years. Job chapter 21, verse 7. Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his desires in his soul. And the greedy one for curses and gains and renounces God. In the pride of his face, the wicked do not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. Jeremiah chapter 12 verse 1. Righteous are you, O Lord. When I complain to you, yet I would please my cause before you. Why do the way of the wicked prosper? Folks, listen, this has been the cry of the ages. And let's just be honest with ourselves today. Don't tell me in some measure you have not either out loud or in your heart cried this yourself. Hey, folks, I'm sorry. I do not pretend to be a political pastor at all because I'm not. But I just want to say it ought to be a burden on your heart at the levels and the depths of the wickedness that is running our country right now. There ought to be something inside of you that cries out for sanity, for reality, for holiness, for righteousness, for justice, for God. And it's not going to come in a political candidate, folks. It's not going to be because we vote in the next great person we think is going to win. Ultimately, the only person that can fix this mess we are in is the Lord Jesus Christ. But folks, there ought to be something in us going, are you kidding me? You mean my kids and our grandkids? I mean, we have like 57 babies in the church right now. These kids that are being born into this culture, look at the craziness that they're going to inherit, the things that they're going to face, the things that I'm explaining right now to my kids. Who would have ever dreamed you'd have to explain those things to a child? But we're here, are we not? And do we not cry, God, when is this going to be over? Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. And one day he's going to. One day there will be delay no longer. But then we get to chapter 10, verses 8 through 11, we see a second truth. And that is a call to Process. There's a reminder of realities. This is what is real. This is what is going to happen. And then in verses 8 through 11, there is a call to process. Folks, what I want to say to you today is that John is getting ready to be asked to do something that is quite bizarre. Let's read about it. Verse 8. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel that stands on the scene on the earth. So I went to the angel and said, Give me the book. And watch this. Look, Here's verse number 9. And he said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Well, that's wild. And don't tell me when I read that a minute ago, you didn't go, what on earth is this all about? Eat the scroll. Now, there's some debate about what the scroll is. Some believe it was a miniature uh, scroll containing the same judgments that John uh, had to eat or it was, it, was, it was just a smaller scroll for this next specific series of judgments that was coming. Folks, listen, if God wanted us to know exactly what the scroll was, he would have told us he did it. But what we know is this. It's part of this judgment sequence. Now watch this. Here's what God tells John to do. Eat the book. Eat the book. Now why would God tell you to eat the book? I'll tell you why. Number one, this must be personal. This call to understand the Bible, this call to be a disciple, this call to receive the Word of God, is personal. Consuming the scroll is tantamount to the assimilation of the message. I mean, this is God says this throughout His Word, folks. Psalm 19, and verse 10: The book is sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. In fact, over in Matthew chapter 4, God says, Do not live by bread alone, but by every word, the bread of the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2, uh, first Peter 2 and verse 2 says this that we are to, to desire the, the Bible like a baby desires milk. Folks, I'm telling you, I, I, I am amazed and, 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 and blown away by the shallowness of so many Christians who are happy to know about the Bible, happy to listen to it be taught. Folks, I'm going to tell you, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in this century, and you are going to survive and thrive, and you are going to raise children that love God, and you are going to make a difference in this society, let me tell you something. This book that sets and collects dust often throughout the week of our lives is going to have to become very personal to us. And guys, there's some new Christians in the room, i got to tell you, there's a time where you have got to grow up and you have got to receive not just milk, but bread and meat, and you've got to grow in your faith, and that's not something that I can do for you for 45 minutes on a Sunday. There's got to be some people that start digesting, internalizing, and personalizing the Word of God in their lives, and this is not going to come from some casual reading of the Bible. This has got to come from somebody who's serious, who gets along with God, who opens up the book, who opens up their heart, who opens up it to application and is willing and ready to digest what God said to them. I think it's personal for the church. I think it's certainly personal or needs to be for the preacher. I mean, John's getting ready to preach this message to these people, but God's telling him, I want you to take this personal first. Guys, how much of this is personal to you? We know, for instance, let me give you an example. We know that people that die without Jesus are going to spend eternity in hell. We know that. How personal is that to you, though? I gotta tell you, God's been speaking to me about this. I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned about this for me. I'm concerned about this for you. It's not personal, friend. You say, yeah, we we did something for single mothers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but did you take it personal? I was so thrilled this week to hear uh, people sharing about, about them sharing their faith. It's so encouraging. think about mrs brown back here and she her her daughter died this week and we visited yesterday and and uh in that meeting and we were talking there at her in her room she she was she was she was sharing with me that she led another lady in that nursing home to christ just just recently i thought to myself isn't that a blessing there's somebody that's taking it personal There's somebody where nobody else is looking, where the pastor's not around, just in the privacy of my own personal life around people that I am exposed to and know. Here's a dear and precious lady for years and years and years, taught kids and, and really can't do that anymore in her physical condition. But wherever she is, there's somebody that needs Jesus and she took it personal. Boy, and just our witness is just a scratch of the surface. I mean, how personal is this book to you? How personal is it for your life? I get so weary of hearing people talk about, well, I mean, you know what? God doesn't really care about what we do, what we say, how we act. Are you kidding me? God has a lot to say in his word about how his disciples live. This is not a Sunday morning experience. This is a life of discipleship that is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and 365 until the day that I die. It's got to be personal. Folks, not only is it personal, secondly, it's painful. Notice, if you will, verse 9 again. Take it and eat it. Watch this, and it will make your stomach bitter. It's going to taste good when you put it in your mouth, but when it gets into your innards, it's going to become bitter. Now, how is this, folks? Remember, what is the message? The message is that there's no more delay in the judgment of the world. And in one sense, it's sweet, right? I mean, in one sense, we start talking about that, and the church gets rowdy, right? That's right. Jesus is going to bring it into all of it. He's going to wipe out the heathen. He's going to settle the score. He's going he's to roll them up like a scroll, and in the end we win. And yeah, that's sweet. That is sweet. But it's also bitter. Because it's only sweet for those that know Jesus. There is a bitter side to this judgment, friend, and that is this, that the sweetness of the gospel is only sweet to those who know the gospel. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter number 9? He said, I wish, I would wish I could myself go to hell instead of my brothers, the Israelites. What a burden. What a passion. Same thing Moses said in the Old Testament. He said, God, look, wipe me out. Don't wipe them out. Such a heart, such bitterness, such knowing what the judgment of God is, knowing what eternity separated from God is like. Look, I'm glad to celebrate. I'm thankful that I'm a Christian. I am thankful that I am not going to be judged, but I am burdened today that there are people that, although that sounds really sweet and good to me, and it is, it does not mean that for your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus Christ. It does not mean that for your coworker or your family member that doesn't know Jesus Christ. There was an old gospel song, an old hymn, I think, and it always bothered me. And we would never sing it here, we never would, we never will, never have, never going to. And sometimes I think our songs just really need to be checked. was an old gospel song called Jesus is Coming Soon, and it was a real peppy song. Jesus is coming soon. And it was this old like it's like bounce your feet and let's dance around. But but right after it says Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. And then the next line said this: Many shall meet their doom. And the way it was sung was like a pep rally. And I thought to myself, there's nothing pep rally about that. How could we sing that with celebration? How could we sing that with anything but tears rolling down our cheeks and on our knees before God saying, God, that is really going to happen. And John says, yeah, I'm going to take this message. And yes, it's going to be sweet in my mouth because I am thankful. But then it's going to be bitter when it really sets in what's really going to happen. Friend, I want to tell you today, there is nothing positive coming in your eternal future if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I am sorry. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm not trying to be ugly. But it is bitter. It is bitter. It's a bitter end. It's a bitter eternity. It's a bitter separation from God. And church, I want to tell you, as we go into 2024, let's let this bother us. It should bother us. It should greatly concern us. And then at the end here, verses 10 and 11, John is told to proclaim it. It is personal. It is painful. But it is to be proclaimed. He says, I want you to preach it out there to the nations that are there i want you to give this message out and you know what I, I think is amazing it's like in the end of it all god's mercy is stretched out all the way to the end did you know that we already talked about this in a previous message but there'll be some of the greatest numbers of people saved in the history of the world will be saved during the tribulation period and here's god one more time saying i'm delaying it just a little longer and John, I'm going to give you this message. I want it to be bitter in your heart, and I want you to take it out there with a little bitter edge on your heart, and I want you to preach it. Folks, that's my challenge to you as we leave today. My challenge to this church is this. Let's go be the missionaries and evangelists that God has called us all to be. Let's go out of this place in 2024. And I've, I've, I've issued this challenge before, and I think it's worth issuing again. What if every one, every person in this church, every person, not the person you're sitting beside, not the person you're staring at, I'm talking about every person in this church sought out to reach out and lead one person to Jesus Christ and see them baptized and see them join in one of our small groups and see them move forward in their faith. Wouldn't that be an amazing blessing if everybody just said, Look, there's a lot I want to do in 2024. I'm sure you're making lists and lists of things that you may or may not keep, but put this one on your list. Reach one soul for Jesus Christ in 2024. Yeah. And may God help us to that end to do that. Let's pray. Before we pray and have our final closing song, is there somebody here today that would say, Preacher, man, I need Jesus in my life. Oh my goodness. I don't, I don't want to go face eternity, face God's judgment. I need Jesus to save me. Friend, if you have never opened up your heart like the front door of your house and welcomed Jesus Christ into your life, I want to invite you to do that right now. I mean right here, right now, in your heart and in your life. If you need Jesus, if you know that you are lost without God and you know that judgment is coming, and you're willing to acknowledge that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the universe, is the only hope for you. He died for you. He was buried he rose again from the dead for your salvation. And you're willing to trust him and acknowledge that today, then I want to invite you right here and right now to receive Christ as your Savior. Whoever, the Bible says, will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can do that right now. You can do that in your seat. You can do that anywhere. But I want to implore you to do it and do it now. Just right there in your quietness of your heart, in your seat, just say, Something like this, dear Lord, just call out to him right now. Dear Lord, I know that I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. But I believe in Jesus Christ. That he died and rose again for my sins. Right now, I accept him as my savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me to not be ashamed of you. I wonder right here, right now in this building, if there's someone that would say, preacher, I just prayed that prayer, I meant it, I'm so glad that I did. I just asked Jesus to be my savior, and I'm so glad that I did. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand, just high enough that I can see it real quick. I won't embarrass you won't call you down. I won't, won't make a scene. I just want to know who you are so that I can pray for you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Preacher, just, I prayed that prayer a minute. I'm so glad that I did. I accepted Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Amen to that. How many of you say this? This old gospel song years ago written by a man named John R. Rice said, Lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. May I humbly do my part to bring that soul to thee. How many of you say this, preacher? I want 2024 to be the year that I reach someone for Jesus Christ in my life. Would you slip your hand up? You say, that's what I want. Church, we don't often do this, but I want to do this today. Let's all stand, and I want to encourage you to come today. We're going to sing. We're going to worship, but I want to invite you to come. These steps, make these steps an altar. Bring somebody's name. Bring somebody that you know that you want to share Christ with. Or, or, Or ask God to put them on your heart, put them in your path. I've got two names in my heart right now that I'm praying for, that I want to see saved in 2024. You maybe already know who they are. You may already know who it is. But maybe you say, I don't, I don't really personally right now know anybody. Then ask God to put somebody in your path right now. And we've got to be alert. We've got to be awake. We've got to be in tune. It's not just going grocery shopping. It's not just doing my business. It's not just working out here at this company. That's, no, no. I'm a missionary on assignment. I'm a missionary. God, you put me here. Wherever I am. So that I can bring somebody to Christ. Now, that would be a great 2024. And I want to encourage you, as the song is played and sung, you can come and let's pray about that. Would you do that? I'm going to be with you praying about that. And, and, and if you're still in your seat, that's great. Sing along with us as we close our service. May God stir us up this year and take it personal. Let's go ahead and pray. God, bless this invitation. Lord, I pray that we will take it personal. I pray that we will feel it in the bottom of our souls. And God, please make us aware of those around us who need Christ. We praise things in his name. Amen. Let me encourage you to come right now as we sing this song. Let's come and pray about this, would you?